If, if you are a uh, if you're regular here, you guys know that that song has a special uh, message for me. That's my uh, my my daughter Elsie is alive song. Uh, she was in a terrible car wreck on Thursday, um, where she was t-boned by a drunk driver at 55 miles an hour, and, and uh, uh, taken to the hospital and everything. And all she had was a bruised leg. Um, and that Sunday was the Sunday we introduced that song, and she was singing. She had to sit down on a stool because she couldn't stand up, and she was singing that, belting out, God, you're so good. And I just thought to myself, wow, yes, you are. You are so, so good. And, uh, and so every time I, I hear that song, I think of my daughter, uh, and uh, that's my Elsie is a live song. But anyway, uh, so I, I could go home right now because I'm, I'm, I'm worshiped up, man. I am ready. I, but uh, I, I'm very excited about what we're talking about today. We're starting a brand new series called Make Your Own Mistakes, Don't Make Mine. And the purpose of this series is to go through the Bible. The Bible gives us some very tragic stories of some people that made some major mistakes. I love that about the Bible. The Bible never tries to sugarcoat or try to propagandize. It tells the unvarnished truth. It tells the heroes of their faith and their massive failures and how bad they screwed it up. And the reason their stories are in there is God is looking at us like a parent saying, make your, make your own mistakes, don't make theirs. I'm giving you their stories so you can learn from them. Albert Einstein said human beings are the only, uh, um, the only species on earth that can learn from the mistakes of, of others and are dead set against doing so. It's very true. But their stories are there, so we don't make their mistakes. And the first one today is the guy named King Saul. He was the first king of a unified Israel. Uh, he was the king that, uh, that the whole thing during David, that David and Goliath happened. He was king during that time, okay? He was the first king, and he started off phenomenal. But uh, he ended, his story is one of the most tragic in the Bible, and it was because of his insecurity, Insecurity will wreck your life. It wrecked King Saul's life. It will wreck yours. So let's look at his story and not make his mistakes. The main thing today is that insecurity will make you see enemies when you should see friends. Um, several years ago when I was assistant soccer coach on the soccer team, um, one of our players had a sharp disagreement with the head coach. Sharp disagreement. He was a good player. He was a junior. Uh, sharp disagreement. And he walked off and he said, I'm quitting. Now, we couldn't afford to lose this player, so I called him uh, that night, and I, and I told him that I had once been in his shoes my junior year. I, I, I wanted to quit playing soccer. Um, I, I didn't like the people on the team, didn't like the coach, and I was done, and I didn't quit. And next year, um, we came back and, and had a great season, we had a college career, everything like that. I said, don't do this. I want you to come on back. You're a junior. You, um, you know, you're, you don't, don't sabotage your athletic career. And so, um, uh, and, and I'd known him, since, like I said, since I was in middle school, since he was in middle school, and convinced him to come back to the team. So the next day at practice, I walked up, you know, this was one of our star players, I walked up to the head coach, and I said, hey, just letting you know, um, I gave him a call, talked him out, he's, he, he's going to come back, he's going to apologize to you, and this kind of thing. I expected the coach to be ecstatic. I expected him to be happy that one of our star players was coming back instead he uh, lit into me about going behind his back, about undermining his authority, about uh, uh, um, basically being a, basically called me a snake, and in front of the whole team, just, just yell, raise his voice, and call me every name in the book, in front of the whole team. 
And from that point on, he made it his job making my life a living hell. I publicly criticized my decisions, ran me into the ground, basically made me hate coaching. I couldn't wait for the season to be over. For me to hate, I love coaching, I love soccer. For me to not even want to go out there, that was pretty bad. But the problem was that he was one of the most insecure people I've ever met. Uh, His insecurity made him see an enemy when I was on his team, I was, on, I was wanting the team to do well. I was helping him out. I had a connection with these players he didn't have, and I was helping him out. But he, then he began to see me as an enemy because of his insecurity. And he sees enemies everywhere. His track record of coaching, bouncing from program to program, leaving a, a, a wake of destruction in, 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 his, in his past is, is for, for all to see. Insecurity has destroyed him. He believes everyone is out to get him. Everyone's out to undermine him. Everyone's about out to hamstring him. He sees people like that, and he's destroyed his life. And unfortunately, he's not alone. Many of you have dealt with insecure bosses, maybe insecure uh, people that, you're, that are in authority over you in, at work and, and have made you into an enemy when you're not one. Uh, maybe you've dealt with uh, uh, family members that are insecure and made you out to be an enemy when you're not one. Or maybe you're doing that right now. Maybe you are that insecure boss that is seeing enemies everywhere. Maybe you are that, that insecure uh, um, family member that sees enemies everywhere when you don't need to see them. And one of the reasons, like I said, I love the Bible is it gives us an unvarnished look at life. It shows a massive failures of people as well as their successes. And, uh, and Saul, like this coach I work for, was incredibly insecure and it led to his downfall. Uh, the first glimpse we get of Saul's insecurity, he turned to, to 1 Samuel 13, 7-14. Saul was, uh, was king, and he went to war with the Philistines, same people that, that, uh, that, that Goliath was. And, and uh, the prophet Samuel had said, wait until I'm there, I'll make the sacrifice, and the Lord will give you victory in the battle. Okay, that's very easy to do. Prophet, man of God, says, wait, I'll make the sacrifice, and then you'll have victory. Okay, well, the Philistines were camped there, and, and the, the two armies were there. Samuel wasn't there. He wasn't coming. He wasn't there. And, and because of the size of the Philistine army, the, uh, uh, the Israelites started getting uh, scared and, and, and everything. They started leaving. And Saul said, yeah, I, I, whoa, what's going on? The army's leaving. I, I have to attack. I have to. And so it says here in verse 7, Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. It was not his to do. He was not a priest. He was not a Levite. It was not his place. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done, asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw the men were scattering, and that you did not come at the set time, and the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor, so I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. Verse 13, you've done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord, your God, has given you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of all the people because you have not kept the Lord's command. That's the first glimpse we get of his insecurity. And so three, this is how insecurity destroyed Israel's king. And it will destroy you too if you do these same things. First thing is this. Saul didn't believe Romans 8.28. That's the first point. Saul didn't believe Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28 says this, and we know that in all things, how many things? All things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. 
He was not convinced that God had his back. He, did, he was not convinced that what God had called him to do, that he would see through. He did not believe in the faithfulness of God. So he began to second guess everything. He did not believe that. The second that things started looking stressful, he cracked. And I see that in a lot of Christians today. They don't believe Romans 8, 20. I mean, we say we do, but we really don't. When, the, when, when we're pressed, when, when things are going badly, we don't really believe Romans 8, 28. And so we begin to doubt God, begin to doubt ourselves, and we begin to do foolish things that destroy us. Okay? The first mistake that, God, that Saul had was that he did not believe Romans 8, 28. That led to his insecurity. See, a Christian who believes Romans 8, 28, that all things are going to work out for the good, that person won't deal with insecurity at all, will they? So they know that God's, God's got it, that God is bigger than me, bigger than my problems, bigger than everything, and that, that, that God can handle it, okay? The second thing that, 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 that we see is Saul, and, and this is particular for you bosses and people that are older, like my age and older, this is a, this is a big, big problem. Saul saw his protege's successes as his failures, okay? His protege was a man named David, David and Goliath. David, the man after God's own heart. He was more talented. He was more charismatic. He was a better leader than Saul was. Okay? And you may have somebody like that. You may have a child who is better than you at whatever you're doing. You may have a, an employee, a young employee at work that is better than you or doing things well. You may, have, you may be on a, on a team, a sports team, and there are players better than you, maybe younger players better than you. And the temptation is to see your protege's successes as your failures. And when you do that, you begin to create enemies where you should see friends. Look at 1 Samuel 18, 5 through 9. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, that's Goliath, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing. And with joyful songs and timbrels and lyres, they danced, they sang, Saul is slain his thousands and David is tens of thousands. Oh. Mm. Saul was very angry. The refrain displeased him greatly. They have called, they've accredited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. Now, if Saul was a functional human being, he would have said, look at my protege. Look, I have mentored him. I have poured into him. I have taught him. He is racking up successes for our kingdom this guy's amazing. He's going to be better than me. I am the first one celebrating. I, yes, he's slain his tens of thousands. That's awesome because I sent him to do it. I want him to do that. He's winning. He's winning for our kingdom, and I should be happy for that, but that's not how insecure people see things. They see the successes of someone else as their failures, and that was what insecurity will do. The singer Julio Iglesias, great, great, Famous singer, um, is probably one of the most famous kind of uh, singers, he's a household name. His son Enrique Iglesias is also a singer. When Enrique Iglesias was given some type of award, I can't remember exactly which award it was, his father Julio refused to come to the ceremony and he made it his point from that point forward 
to downgrade Enrique, to, keep, to, to make sure that he had more sales than his son. He dogged his son. He, 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 uh, he insulted him. He, he criticized him, said he's not a good singer. He's terrible compared to me publicly because instead of seeing his son's successes as successes, he saw them as, as threatening to him and became this family feud. He made an enemy out of his son when he didn't have to have one. That's what insecure people do. Uh, my question is, people, my generation and older, Gen X and baby boomers, I'm, I'm not really talking to the millennials and, and the Gen Zers here, although you really need to know this. Um, don't we want the next generation of leaders to do better than us? Today is Elevate's one-year anniversary. I want Elevate to do better than us. I think, I, I, I would love it if Elevate had more people than us. I would love it if, if Elevate did a better job of baptizing people than us. I would love it if Rob establishes Elevate and it just reaches the entire South Lexington and reaches people we can't reach. Why? Because they're our child. We want them to do better than us. Functional parents always want their children to do better than them. Isn't that true, parents? Don't you want your children to be better people than you, to have more character than you, to do better professionally than you? That's what I want. I want all my children to do better than me. That's what functional parents do. But insecure parents and insecure leaders are threatened by the people underneath them. And they make enemies when they could be making friends. Catholic Christian Church, do not see the successes of others as your failures. They have nothing to do with you. They have nothing to do with you. Remember that. Do not make the successes of people about you. It's about them. And just celebrate it. Because if you don't, you're going to make enemies when you could have been making friends. I've had insecure leaders do that to me. Insecure pastors, insecure elders, insecure people in authority above me. Uh, Instead of encouraging me to go after my calling, instead of encouraging me to step out in courage, instead of encouraging me to go where no one wants to go, to reach who no one uh, wants to reach, they, they basically wanted to fire me for, for stepping out in faith because it was threatening. They, didn't see, they, didn't, they, they, they tried, instead of encouraging me, they did everything to discourage me. And I've sat under leaders like that, and I vowed I'm never going to be that way. And I don't want to be that way in this church. I don't want to be that way in my family. Other people's successes are not your failures. But King Saul allowed that to poison his heart. His protege, the man who was winning battles, the one who, was, who had his back, saw him as an enemy, tried to kill him. So he went on this massive campaign against David. David was on a run for his life. He had to hide out in caves. He had to, uh, uh, he had to run from Saul. Twice, Saul was in a cave where David was in the back of the cave. And he could have killed him, and he didn't uh, because he wouldn't touch uh, he wouldn't touch the king. He was not going to take the kingship that way. He, he, the one person that Saul could really depend on was David, the one that he completely pushed away because of his insecurity. And the third thing that Saul, Saul did that led to his downfall was this. He listened to gossips and backstabbers. Now, listen to this. Listen to this, people. If you're an insecure person, if you're an insecure family leader member or an insecure boss or an insecure employee, listen, listen. Gossips and backstabbers will find you. They will. You're, you're, like an, you're like a magnet to gossips and backstabbers if you are an insecure person. They will, find, they will go through brick walls to get to you. 
I've found this out. You attract them like a light attracts mosquitoes. Okay? You do. And they will get your ear, and they will feed into your insecurities. They will tell you things about people that are exaggerated, maybe even not even true, and they will feed your insecurity. That's exactly what happened to Saul. Okay? When, when David uh, had, had spared uh, Saul's life in, in 1 Samuel 24, it's an amazing story, actually. Saul was using the bathroom in a cave. David was in there, and he went up, and he cut off a corner of his robe. That's how close he was with his dagger. And when Saul left the cave, David came out of the cave, held up the robe, held the corner of the robe, and said, Saul, is this yours? And he looks down, and he sees the corner cut off of his robe with the dagger in his hand. He knew what kind of a man David was, knew what kind of warrior David was, and, and he could have killed him like that, okay? And this is what David said. David went out from the cave and called out Saul, my lord the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said, Saul, why do you listen when men say, David has been on harming you? This day you've seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. And I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe but did not kill you. See, there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I'm guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you're hunting me down to take my life. What did David say? Listen, you surrounded yourself, Saul, with people that are feeding you lies. And if you're an insecure person, I want you to take stock of the people around you. Is there a free flow of gossip and backstabbing that goes on in your circle? Because if there is, that it, you're listening to people who are lying to you. And it's feeding your insecurity. And it's turning you against people that are not your enemies. Okay? I've seen it happen. That's what happened here. And that's what happened to Saul. Drove him to the madness of trying to kill the one person that had his back. And it will do the same thing to you. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says this, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Maybe you're feeling insecure for a reason, y'all. Maybe you go into to work or you, you're, in your, you're, you're in this circle of friends where people are not of good character. Maybe you're truly surrounded by people of low character. Well, there's a saying, you can't change the people around you, but you can change the people around you. Got it? Maybe you need to leave your place of business. Maybe you need to get a new circle of friends. Maybe you need to get in a community group here at Catalyst of people of good character. Maybe it's time to change friend circles. However, if you've done that several times and still everyone is out to get you, who's the common denominator? Don't let insecurity destroy your life. Don't let insecurity make you see enemies when you should be seeing friends. So catalyst, we need to move from insecurity to confidence, and this is how the Bible tells us to do it. I don't want any of you to line up like King Saul. I don't want any of your families to be in discord because of insecurity. I don't want any of your place of business. I don't want people, young protégés, you resenting you because you're insecure and you're seeing and you're trying to keep them down. Okay, so let's let's take a moving from insecurity to confidence. The first thing is this: we have to understand that God loves you. Understand that God loves you. Romans eight thirty eight through thirty nine. If you are insecure. <laughs> memorize this, love this, because this is the truth. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Some of you guys, your biggest sin today that you carried in here is your inability to truly believe that God loves you. 
that you're worth dying for, that you, that you are worth, that you are made in his image and you have infinite worth. That is some, some of you all, that is your biggest sin that you're committing today and I'm calling you to repent of it right now. I'm calling you to repent of that as much as I'm calling you to repent of adultery or murder or lying or any of the other things the Bible condemns. Repent of the fact that you don't believe God loves you because that's a sin. It's a lie straight from the pit of hell. And once you understand that God truly, truly loves you, everything changes. All right? I was a psych major. One of the very few things that I learned in psychology, very few things, um, was the concept of what's called the looking glass self. Psychologists, everybody say looking glass self. Looking glass self, what that is, is it was a very accurate observation that we tend to view ourselves and assign worth to ourselves through the person we value the most, okay? So you wonder why teenagers look at themselves in depressing ways. Well, their friend group or the people at school, if the people at school don't think they're worth anything, the looking glass self says, well, these are the people I listen to the most, these are the people that I value the most, they think I'm trash, therefore I'm trash, Okay? You wonder why uh, birds of a feather flock together. It's because of the looking glass self. Well, once you understand that God, is, that God loves you and that God thinks you're terrific and he is the most important person in your life, then all of a sudden you begin to see yourself through God's eyes. That's a psychological phenomenon. That's the way God made us. Okay? And so if, if you believe yourself to be less than or worthless, I want to ask you, is God number one in your life? Because if God is number one in your life, then the opinions of people don't matter. God's opinion of you matters the most. That's the, that, that's the looking glass self. So if you truly believe that God loves you, you can never understand yourself as a loser. You can never understand yourself as, as a failure because God loves you and nothing else matters. See, that's what it means to be a Christian is to put God first, not just, not just uh, sacrifice to him and, and everything, but it's also make, making God's opinion of you the most important in your life, okay? So if you truly understand God loves you, then insecurity will fade away because God thinks you're terrific. Matter of fact, if you were the only person on earth, he still would have sent Jesus to the cross to die for you and be resurrected for you because you, he values you that much. Understand that God truly loves you and Jesus thinks you're fantastic. See, when, you, when, you, when Jesus is the number one in your life, eh, I don't really care what other people say. Well, um, kind of like um, somebody said, no matter what you're going through, approximately one billion Chinamen couldn't care less, okay? What if somebody in China doesn't like my sermons? You think I care? I don't care. I, I, I really don't. And that's exactly what happens when you value God. When God is your number one, the other people around you, they're like, you know, somebody in India or China or Antarctica, they can have whatever opinion they want. I don't care. And that's exactly how you begin to look at life. The second thing, moving from insecurity to confidence, is this. Don't create self-fulfilling prophecies. Matthew 7, 7 through 8, Jesus tells us this, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks the door will be opened. I've found that people find exactly what they're looking for. You treat people like enemies. You'll make enemies. If you're looking for enemies, if you're looking for backstabbers, if you're looking for fake people all around you, guess what you're going to find? You're going to find those things. We had a big outreach program in Tennessee where I was youth minister. 
and we were doing an amazing job of attracting hundreds of kids. And we attracted not just with these hundreds of kids, with those kids came several very awful kids. They were terrible. They were rude, they were disrespectful, they were defiant, some were violent, showing up at church on Wednesday nights. And I was told by one of our adult volunteers in, in, a, in a particularly nasty episode where these kids were there, that this one girl that we'd had trouble with before had, had mouthed off and cussed her out. So I went, I found her, and she saw me walking towards her, and she immediately rolled her eyes, like she knew what was going on. And she, before I could even say anything, she goes, I can't believe this, and started mouthing off and mouthing off and mouthing off about what a victim she was. I said, hang on, hang on, chill. What happened? And she says this. Second we walk in here, everyone thinks we're awful kids. Everything, everyone thinks we're terrible. Everyone hates us. Everyone thinks we're the scum of the earth. No one likes us. Everyone's such a jerk. Those were the words out of her mouth. And I looked at her, and I said, hold on. Not everyone is against you. And I'll never forget what she said. She looked at me, and a teardrop went down her eye, went down her cheek. She goes, everyone is against me. See, this, I don't know what this girl had been through, probably something pretty bad. But she had created a self-fulfilling prophecy. She came in, Guns blazing, seeing enemies everywhere. The person that met her, the lady that she had cussed out, was one of the kindest, most caring people I'd ever met. We wanted her there. We wanted to preach the gospel to her. We believed that the gospel was the only thing, only chance she had. She and the hundreds of kids that were there, that was the only chance. Why would we want you gone? We, you need to be here to hear about Jesus because Jesus loves you and Jesus can save you and Jesus can save all that. Why would we want you gone? Church is where you're supposed to be. That'd be like a hospital kicking out the sickest people. Like, come on, get in here. You need to get healed up. That was our attitude. But her attitude... Made everyone hate her. And she created a self-fulfilling prophecy everywhere she went because she treated people like garbage. She treated them like enemies, so she made enemies. And that is how insecurity destroys your life. If you walk into work tomorrow, you walk into school tomorrow thinking everyone's against you, and you start treating people like they're against you, guess what's going to happen, people? They're going to be against you. They don't like you because you treat them badly. I don't blame people for not liking you if you treat them badly. I don't blame them at all. So maybe we need to stop the self-fulfilling prophecies. Our insecurities have made us see enemies when we should have seen friends or at least neutral people. Don't let your insecurity make you see enemies. We should be seeing friends. The third thing that we need to do moving from insecurity to confidence is this. We need to live for the applause of God. Live for the applause of God. The insecurities I have are when I start measuring, measuring my actions and, and accomplishments against, the, uh, against people that, that, out there. And I, I begin to doubt myself because I'm not as good as those people. Well, a, f- a mentor of mine told me, listen, Dave, you have to stop. And you have to live for the applause of one. 
Because when you're out there playing music, you're only playing for one person. There may be people out there, but you're only playing for God. When you're preaching, you're only preaching for God. There may be people here listening, but you're only preaching for God. And it doesn't matter if people like it, it only matters if God likes it. And so, guys, we need to live for the applause of God. Paul, Paul said this in Galatians 1.10. He goes, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Wow. Paul's entire ministry was dedicated to the applause of one person, that was God himself. And once you understand that you're loved by God and you stop creating self-fulfilling prophecies, you, everything changes. You can never think of yourself as a loser. You really can't. I'm gonna speak some truth to you guys that, that you guys may find kind of funny. I'm gonna speak some truth to you today, okay? Are you ready for it? Are you ready to hear truth, okay? Are you, this means yes, this means no. Yeah, okay, you ready to hear some truth? All right, here it is. You were once a sperm. Not only that, but you were one of five million sperm. And you all lined up at the starting line. And at the end of a long tunnel was one egg. And there was a race. And you won. Yes, you won. The very first thing you did showed you're a winner. What you pulled off by being born, y'all, is greater than any Olympic gold medal. Okay? What, what, you all, the very first thing, there are no losers in this world because the fact that you're here means you're a winner. And once you understand that, people, that you are not a chance, the chances against you existing were five million to one, and yet you're here. And so the person, the one who created you in his image, who knit you together after the big race, thinks you're fantastic. And we live for his applause and his applause alone. Live for the applause of God. Fourth thing is this, that we need to focus on faithfulness and not success. So 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, these, these words, one of my favorite verses of scripture because I want to be able to say this on my deathbed. If I was to have a heart attack right now and as I was falling to the floor, well, falling to the stage, I hope that I would have enough breath to say this right here. I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but all who have longed for his appearing. I've fought the good fight, I've kept the faith, finished the race. See guys, repeated failure may make you insecure, make you doubt yourself, make you doubt your abilities. I get that, I'm a pastor, okay. There's no one who sees less success than us pastors. Um, if I was out to be successful, I would quit a long time ago, y'all. I'm not much of a success. Catalyst isn't running 10,000 people. I don't have a private jet. I don't, when I walk into church, people don't stand aside and sing, how great thou art. <laughs> and if you did, I would see the sarcasm behind it immediately because that's the kind of church this is. I've spent more time getting raccoons out of this building and trying to fix the roof than I thought I would at year 23 of 
ministry. Any given Sunday, about a third of our church family isn't here for one reason or another. Does that sound like a successful pastor to you? No, guys, if I focus on success, I'd have quit the ministry a long time ago. I learned a long time ago that God judges me on my faithfulness, not on my success. And same with you. He's going to judge you on your faithfulness to what he put you in this earth to do more than any success and your worldly success that you may gain. So questions, church, we always start with ourselves. The question, are you being faithful? I'm not asking if you're being successful. I'm asking if you're being faithful. Are you dutiful to the things that God put you on this earth to do? And the roles he's placed you in. If you're a husband, if you're a wife, if you're a father, if you're a child, if you're a student, if you're a worker, if you're a grandfather, a grandmother, those are the roles God has placed you in. Are you being faithful in them? are, Are you faithful in prayer and study? Are you faithful? Because that means more to God than any paycheck you get. Are you faithful in your relationship with God? Is there unconfessed sin that you're allowing to dictate your life that you need to get out of your life? Moving out from that, moving out from us to our, to our home, are you building a home that God would approve of? Parents, single parents, married parents, are you building a home that God would approve of? Is your marriage something that shouts the glory of God to, the, to an unbelieving world? Moving out from that, parents, are you raising godly children who will be the pillars and leaders of the church in 10 or 20 years. Remember, your greatest contribution to God's kingdom may be someone you raise, not something you do. Are you raising your children with character and morals and love? Moving out from that, are you faithful to your church family? Are you serving? Do you see a need that needs to be done and you're, not, and you're, and you're just letting it go? Are you serving according to the gifts that God has given you? Are you building up this church? Are are, are you building up God's kingdom? Faithfulness, moving out from that. Are you a good employee at work? Not the best, but can you be counted on? Do you work all 40 hours you're paid to work? Can Can you be trusted Is your word good? Are you the person that can be counted on? Are you faithful, church? Are you using the gifts and talents God has given you? He gave them to you for a reason. You're good at things for a reason. Not to build yourself up. It is to build God's kingdom. In other words, church, are you being faithful? I don't really care what the world says about you, whether you're successful or not. I don't care. No one's gonna, none of that's gonna matter in 100 years, let alone 1,000. The only thing that will matter in 100,000 years from now is were you faithful to God? So concentrate on faithfulness, not success. Like I said, no one will care how successful you are in 100 years. Only matters how faithful you've been. And once faithfulness to God becomes how you judge yourself, you can never deal with insecurity ever again. It doesn't matter what happens out in the world. It doesn't matter anything because I'm being faithful to God, and God is judging me on my faithfulness to him, not on the results I'm getting. The results are up to him. My job is faithfulness, 
Success is, is up to him. And once you begin adopting that attitude, insecurity will melt away, will fade away. It'll be, it'll be gone. It'll be part of your past that Jesus crucified, threw away forever, and you made new in the knowledge that God loves you. And being faithful to him is all you need to do. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday. Bye-bye.